This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, I'm Josh Christensen, executive producer of podcasts at Fast Company. We've got another highlight from Fast Company's 2022 Innovation Festival in New York City. In this conversation, Fast Company senior editor Amy Rollins is joined for a discussion about innovation and sustainability in fashion and food by Chloe Founder, Gabriella Hurst, and Daniel Hume. They talk about forward-thinking approaches to sustainability, the role of innovation in their work, and the ways they are seeking to elevate the conversation around climate change. Enjoy. All right. Hello. Welcome. Super excited about this panel. We have two amazing visionaries here with us to talk about innovation and sustainability in food and fashion. So first we have Gabriella Hurst, who's the creative director of Chloe and the founder of her eponymous line, Gabriella Hurst. And then we have Chef Daniel Hume, who is the chef and owner of Make It Nice, which is a New York-based hospitality group behind 11 Madison Park and the newly launched 11 Madison Home. So I'd love to just talk about why you're up here together. Food and fashion, you know, those are two really separate industries, but there are a lot of similarities in waste and in what uh, needs to happen to make them more sustainable. So yeah, let's, let's start there. How much to start? <laughs> <laughs> we're here first because we're the closest of friends, and uh, Daniel's one of the few guys that can tell me I'm wrong without me getting pissed off, so that's an asset to have around. <laughs> but also because we always felt and that even if we were in different uh, metiers, there's a lot of similarities. We are both very focused on the quality of our product. We are both in the service. I, I really view what I do in, 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 in luxury fashion service to take care of our clients when they go to the store and also our awakening that we need to do with our platforms more. I think what's interesting, I think we take inspiration from obviously a lot of different creatives, but um, what we do might seem different at first, but it's actually quite similar in, in the sense of um, we all work with materials and, and we also work on sort of a seasonal schedule and uh, there's always a deadline to launch the new collection or the new, you know, season's uh, menu. Teams that follow us loyally and... And I think the other, I think the other thing is um, I, during the pandemic I thought a lot about Luxury, I mean, 11 Madison Park is a luxury restaurant. Gabriella Hearst is a luxury brand. And I think uh, we do have a platform and a voice. And I am conflicted with this sometimes of, of just using uh, my skill to feed the rich, basically. Um, and so, but I, I think we do have a voice. And um, I think whatever we do will trickle down and I think in, in food in particular and I know in fashion as well but in food like um, what, what we thought was luxury and I'm guilty of this myself um, we have continued to celebrate certain ingredients as luxurious for way too long and uh, during the pandemic it, it was a real uh, opportunity to take a step back and really relook at this 
landscape and, and you know, food system. And as a simple example, caviar, today caviar is 100% not a luxury product. That is an old idea. Caviar is farm-raised. Caviar is plentiful. Um, you can go to JFK Airport and find caviar. And also caviar doesn't taste very good. <laughs> To, to what it once did. So there you have yeah. it. Um, and when it comes to, so talking about that, you know, the issue of accessibility and, you know, kind of luxury and how it trickles down. When it comes to fashion, how do you see, you know, what you're doing making a real impact and maybe more mass market, you know, kind of mainstream brands? So basically the work that we I see what the work that we've done at Gabriela Hearst uh, for seven years, uh, uh, research and development. We, we changed our packaging to biodegradable, compostable when we were a really small team. Um, we've immediately, I took cotton out of the equation because it's, it, it affects our biodiversity and um, it's part of the monocrop culture and also has herbicides and pesticides. I use, I pay a lot of attention to the materials. I'm a huge believer in merino wool, not as a farmer, that makes me vertical, uh, but also as a, one of the ancient materials that we've used in, in our civilization. So I look a little bit at the past when it comes to materials, like Rome, you had three materials in, uh, in, uh, antiqu uh, in antiquity, it was linen, wool, and leather. And so based on that, and then you have also the innovations that we've measured our carbon footprint. So how can we lower our carbon footprint? And we were the first show that ever measures the carbon footprint, which seems a little bit obvious. But whatever we do, it shouldn't be the extraordinary. It's putting the bar to like what's the standard. But it's also have allowed me to really dive in into this journey because people don't understand that sustainability, like anything, is a practice. And the more you dive in, the more you understand. And so um, when it comes to clothes, to narrow it down, I pay a lot of attention to the materials and also the social component of who is making your clothes. And when you weave those two things together, you have the difference from something looking good, just in, like food, when you look at you know, the avocado toast <laughs> and, uh, on Instagram, uh, something looking good and something feeling good or tasting good, that's the difference. Yeah. It's the ingredient and the people who are making it. And, and so we weave that social component in. But you know, my holy grail where I just you know, started researching for our upcoming show in, uh, of Chloe last October has been fusion energy because what we really have in, in sustainability is an energy problem because 85% of our world is moving on fossil fuels and coal. So we can talk about different subjects who will go blue in the face, but right now in Switzerland, there is so much of the, of the glaciers melting. There were news today on the glaciers of Greenland melting to a tipping point. So we kind of continue heating up. So we really have to talk about energy in scale that's clean and now. Yeah. And do you think that for brands that are, you know, more mass market, is, is, is it even possible for them to adopt some of those, you know, materials and practices? Yeah. Just look at Patagonia and what they did. Yeah. And uh, I think Nike also has been a, a, a huge proponent on sustainability for a long time. I think they first uh, recycled, if I'm not uh, mistaken, the first recycled polyester piece that they did was in early 2000. 
So there are ways to do it. It's just you have to, to pay attention. It's supply chain focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And turning back, turning back to food. Um, so about a year ago, you made 11 Madison Park vegan, which was very radical. Um, and, and yet, you know, it was kind of mixed, mixed reception and had some pushback. Like what, how did you respond to that feedback? And, you know, what were there tweaks you made um, accordingly? Um, you know, I, I think uh, I felt that um, we had a unique platform. Um, I, I was a professional cyclist and uh, had a bad accident when I was 24, and, and I decided that I would put my energy towards cooking. And um, I sort of went on this path very much with an athlete's mentality. And I was looking, okay, who are the best chefs? Um, what are the, you know, the Olympics? Who do I need to take down? <laughs> <laughs> and so I went on this journey and for like 20 years and, you know, we kind of achieved everything uh, that we did. And, and I didn't really reevaluate along the way, are we still going in the same direction? I was just like focused on the three Michelin stars and the number one spot on the world's 50 best, and, and you know, in 2017, it all sort of, there, there wasn't another award um, to win. And so then I realized how really unhappy I was and um, how the world uh, of this celebrity chef was pulling me in so many different directions and, and mostly actually outside of the restaurant, the place I like to be uh, the most. And then when the pandemic hit, um, I um, it was shocking. Overnight, our industry went from 100 to zero, and we were closed for 18 months. And um, but we converted 11 Madison Park into a community kitchen, and we started cooking thousands, hundred thousands, close to a million meals uh, for food insecure New Yorkers. And I fell so in love with food again. And I felt like every morning I got up, I had a real purpose um, that I realized that um, cooking and food is my true voice and that it can stand for a lot of change. And so there was also times where it wasn't clear if we could reopen 11 Madison Park um, because of financial reasons. Uh, we were out of business for 18 months, as I said. Um, but then when it came time and it was clear that there was a path forward, there was no way I would go back to what we did. I, I didn't think creatively the world needed uh, another butter poached lobster or another suckling pig or another, you know, lavender roasted duck. But the, the world really need innovation uh, because you don't need to dig very deep to know that um, we're running out of our resources. In fact, you know, you can arrive by going plant-based uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, you can arrive there because of animal cruelty. You can arrive there um, because of health, uh, because of global warming. But the one thing no one can escape, and we're heading there, is there isn't enough. So we actually won't have enough. There are studies that in 20 years, 60% of 
of our meat consumption will be lab-grown meat um, or, or meat-like things. So I think the chefs um, have a real responsibility um, to use the creativity yeah. to make that future as delicious as possible. Yeah, and when, when we were talking before, you, you said, you know, I think that a lot of people in, in general are afraid to make big changes just because they get criticized along the way and it can be, that can be a really hard process. And so as you've gone through this last, you know, year, year plus, what has that meant for you to kind of be open to, you know, changing? What, what have you learned in this, like, really interesting and different journey? I think um, change is hard for people. And I think one of the problems in the world is that, and you're speaking about Nike, which I was invited by John Hoke, the creative director, to speak at an internal um, sustainability conference. And um, they actually had in 86, they, at the Soccer World Cup, um, their T-shirts were made out of recyclable plastic. But they, they never talked about it because they knew that if they would start talking about it, then the world would say, like, oh, what about this sneaker? Or what about the cardboard boxes? Or what about this? What about that? I think we live in a world, unfortunately, um, where you start making change, the critics come at you and saying, well, you're changing this, but why are you not changing that? And that's the whole thing about change. You, you, can't, you, you, you can't be perfect from day one. So it, change is actually an evolution, and we should applaud change rather than finding the loophole or the hole where there is a weakness. Yeah, definitely. And have you like found interesting things that you've changed about, in particular, you know, what it means to be a luxury vegan restaurant? I mean, it's what we did is crazy. We took everything that we were known for away. And we said, we don't need any of this. We were famous for duck and lobster and foie gras and all these things. And one day we said, oh, we don't need any of it. Of course, that's, that's um, challenging. And of course, it's impossible um, to get it all right. Um, and I'm still in shock that I had the courage to actually do it um, because no one in the world, not even my best friend, True. believed that this would work. I was concerned. <laughs> he was talking to bankruptcy lawyers. And I was like, are you sure? You're famous for your duck. And he had the vision, and he was hit by the vision and the drive that he has and that athlete mentality. And the reservation sold out in no time. And it's, yeah, it's been an ama amazing journey. But I think the reason why we're here is because um, you need people that inspire you, people that support you, uh, people you can talk to. Um, and I think we were close before the pandemic, um, but the pandemic really got us really close together because we were both, our industry were um, very challenged. And, uh, and it needed some real, real creative uh, solutions. And I think this is where we really... And I, 
and we could sell online and you couldn't. And so, but I do have to say, and even if he's my best friend and, and a brother, when I, I see him as a creative and, and as an athlete and his recovery time and his comeback, because imagine losing everything you've worked for decades and your teams, like none of us do things that are great without great teams. Having to lose that, losing everything you have identified yourself professionally. And when you're hitting the low, in a matter of 48 hours, he went from hitting lows to making his, his kitchen a food kitchen for everyone, more than a million meals. And then when 11 miles and looked like it was going to open, a new vision. And very few humans have that recovery. And so I'm always in awe of my friend. Yeah, definitely. And when it comes Thank to... Oh, yeah. you, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, when you joined Chloe, helped make that the first luxury house. It's B Corp. So would love to just hear about that journey. And then also, it's pretty surprising that it's the only one. Like, why do you, why do you think that that's been such a, a I don't know a gap in other companies? I, I think that bigger the platform, bigger the responsibility, right? And Gabriela Hurst is a seven-year-old brand and Chloe is a 70-year-old brand founded by Gabi Agnon, and, um, which was an extraordinary woman, also visionary and a, and a head of a spear. And uh, she, th this, this brand was something I loved very, very much and always, and I identify with the aesthetic and it's like speaking Italian and Spanish or French, it wasn't too far away. So aesthetically speaking and creatively speaking, it was just flow from me. So I could focus a lot of the energy in the um, sustainability aspect. And, you know, like the first time I'm, you come in and there's like the head of sustainability also does licensing and I'm like, okay, we need to change that. <laughs> <laughs> we, need to, we need to do a department here. And um, I needed less designers, more, more sustainability efforts. And B Corp is, a, is an incredible bureaucratic uh, process that uh, the team uh, really went through it, but it's an accountability process most of all because you really have to like clean up the closet and everything you say and everything you do you have to be accountable but I think the first things that were really fast was change all the materiality really quickly to viscose polyesters the materials really upscale the materials up like as we talked before good ingredients first um, there was like 20 different type of goals. The galvanization process in our industry is a very toxic process. I'm like, we're using one gold and one silver color. And then just like narrow it down, narrow it down. And then on top of that, I started to realize, and this only I realized in Europe, that all these uh, luxury maisons, right, these big brands, they have uh, these things called volume drivers because Carilla Hurst is so, I would say, just craft and high quality product. We didn't really do what, we didn't really deal with volume drivers. So we immediately, the way I think of Chloe, it's imagine a pyramid. And on the top of it, you have Chloe craft, which is everything that's made by hand and crafted and not only beautifully, but also by social projects. Uh, UNHCR projects, uh, different uh, refugee programs or empowering women program. And then you have the middle where is the, the dresses and the knits and the wovens and then the volume drivers. 
which is like the tote that we change to linen, the sneakers that we made them, we worked nine months in a, in a sneaker that would be lower, called an AMA, that created lower impact and less greenhouse gases, and the jeans are all made out of uh, uh, post-consumer products. So basically, we made all of this made out of trash, but really, really beautiful trash. <laughs> so that's how we target that. And so then we're measuring because I can tell you how we're doing it, but you need accountability. Yeah, definitely. And, and is it just, you were really committed to this, obviously. And is it, what's stopping, do you think, other luxury houses or other, you know, really high quality brands from making the switch? I, I think that it's just an awakening and a realization that there's really nothing else to be focused about. I mean, the water is rising and it's the only thing that we don't know how to stop. And so um, it, it is the climate is warming and there's, we are all aware of what's happening now more than we were happening 10 years ago, but the, rel the bell was rung in 1970, the first Earth Day. So unfortunately, the, the, the glass is about to crash the ground and um, we need to wake up. But I think the moment and the window for opportunity is now, and I do think that they are waking up. I, yeah. I've talked to very uh, different uh, luxury brands in different uh, aspects, and the conversations that before were really, what the hell are you talking about now, or like common practice. We did, we used to do dead stock repurpose in our first show, and people were like, don't use the word dead stock with luxury, and now it's a common practice mm -hmm. in the industry. So the mentality has changed. Is it changing fast enough is another question. Definitely. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I want to say something. Um, I think, you know, some of these conversations can be quite um, depressing. And, and I think during COVID, I definitely also had moments where it was and I also have young children and, and then, you know, sometimes it's hard to see the light. And, and I look at my kids, I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but it's not looking good. <laughs> but I have to say, um, and, and I think your show um, was a testament to that. Gabriella just had her show uh, in New York last week. And, and it was so beyond beautiful. And it was so much bigger than, than, than what fashion is, but it was, um, I could really sense that culturally things are really changing and there is a real excitement about it. I, for the first time, I think at that show, I was like, we're gonna be okay. Humans are actually amazing. And uh, there is a lot of young, uh, you know, kids coming out with amazing ideas who are so passionate and, and they're seeing the light uh, very much so. But um, it, it is, um, yeah, it was just beautiful to see your show and, and, and see the, the diversity of your inspirations, where you take them from, the diversity of, of, of people who are involved with your brand, who love your brand, who walk the shows for your brand. It was really like beautiful and super inspiring. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, I have a lot of hope. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on that inspiration train. Um, what's a company that you guys are each excited about that's not each other's, that's making, doing interesting innovations or other changes in your industry? Or, or outside of your industry? 
I mean, I thought the, the announcement of Patagonia last week was pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think they're um, brilliant uh, leaders and owners of a company with, like, uh, incredible values, uh, some to inspire for. Yeah, definitely. And for me, also Patagonia, but uh, all the star builders, the private sector and the, and the public sector that's been focusing on um, bringing fusion because it's coming and it's coming quicker and that's the good news. Yeah. That we'll have a source of energy that's clean and deweaponize this planet. So, yeah. Cool. That's it. That's good. To the star builders. That's, <laughs> that's, that's where we're positive about. Um, but the thing is, like, in the beginning, I thought... And I did, you know, I was like leaving behind animal products. It, it was, um, at, at first I thought this would be, might be limiting. I also felt that, you know, it's like, and, and a lot of my chefs uh, felt that way too. It's like, it's, it, it, if you learn a language and you learn it really, really, you learn French and you learn it really, really, really well. And the moment you perfect it, you're like, oh, let's move to Spain. <laughs> And so there's also, you know, there's like, there's like leaving all that skill behind um, seems like maybe not a smart thing to do. But, but what we have found is, well, first of all, if you speak French and you go to Spain, you're going to learn Spanish easier. And, uh, and second of all, it felt so limiting what we did before. Uh, in, a, in a menu, for example, when you go to a restaurant, a fine dining restaurant, you pretty much already know the order of your meal. You're going to get some vegetable, maybe some raw fish, maybe a little foie gras, maybe some cooked fish or crustacean, and then you're going to get meat, and then you're going to get dessert. So almost every restaurant has that form. So we didn't realize, in fact, how limiting that was. Our creativity couldn't go that far because it was really just figuring out, okay, what's the condiment for the meat? Today, uh, it's a complete, um, you know, blank canvas and anything is possible. And as a guest, you actually have no idea what's going to be your main course. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and shifting gears a little bit, so much... So you guys are innovating like incredibly in your fields, but so much of it is about also changing human behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And I think in fashion, um, overconsumption and just especially you see that with Sheen and a lot of those other brands. Um, and then, you know, in food, I think Americans in particular are just programmed to think that meat should be on the menu. And so how do you see your role or just the industries kind of at large? How do you help change kind of like human behavior, which is, is so deeply ingrained here? So... First of all, the problems that we have in our industry are the problems that all industry have. As you point out, uh, over overproduction, which uh, pushes overconsumption, and that creates waste. And then we need to preserve our natural resources and um, regenerate what has been sick and it's healing. So that's and most of it of it is just not focus. It's just, I think it's that the number is $1 trillion of food gets wasted a year and it's wasted in the field. So that's, as you say, a mentality shift of, of just understanding that we don't live in the, earnest, in the endless cornucopia, but also understanding that our brain is also not programmed, and I 
invite anyone to listen to Hoverman, uh, because our brain is not programmed to make the best decisions. <laughs> and uh, yes, and so it's really important that because sometimes we think that, oh, this, there's a solution. This is the solution to this problem but this can create this other problem. I mean, styrofoam, the existence of styrofoam is for me the symbol of the turning a wrong corner in the name of convenience. There is nothing of a quality in styrofoam. It doesn't disintegrate, it, it's toxic, and it doesn't leave this planet. And so, um, so basically it's really understand that everything is a holistic and there's many paths. And that is, I think, very, very key, and I agree to, with you about understanding our brain and this comes in different ways of meditation, uh, understanding ourselves, know thyself is the number one key, key for opening up human consciousness. Mm -hmm. I, I think for me, um, it's also about beauty and magic and uh, you know, to, to show a way that even without certain things that we were so accustomed to, that there can be beauty and magic. I thought a lot about the car industry when I made this change, and I thought about Toyota Prius versus Tesla. Toyota Prius was the first hybrid car um, 25 years ago, groundbreaking, ahead of its time. And, but it's not the sexiest car, and so it didn't really change the world the way Tesla did. Tesla went at it and said, let's build a contemporary car that happens, of course, if you build a car today, it's electric, goes without saying. And so they made a beautiful luxury car that now has been able to change the entire industry. I, I, I think people do um, aspire uh, for beauty and magic, and therefore I think Certain luxury companies ha have a real voice and, and a real role to play and a responsibility. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in terms of you know, society sort of systemic change, what do you see beyond just companies making the decision to go vegan or use sustainable materials? Are there you know, changes at like a more maybe regulatory or like systemic level that, need, that you see needing to happen to push this along faster? Yeah, I think that there's definitely policy that needs to be applied. At least in the food industry, you can identify what's organic and what's not organic. Uh, that's not the example in, in, uh, in my industry. Uh, we definitely, for sure, have to keep democracy alive. That's important <laughs> well for change. And, um, and then also, I do think that as guardians, because I don't believe the world is ours anymore, I see the generation of our kids, and they are coming in, full blade and they know what's happening and they know what's going to happen. They are wired and wired like that. So we have responsibility to maintain till they rise. So I will focus on really giving as much of opportunity to youth as possible. Yeah. I think um, one thing important is that we are looking for progress and not perfection. And we um, we, we are not saying that everyone has to be a vegan, um, but if everyone would just eat, you know, plant-based one day a week or two days a week, that would make a huge difference. And I think sometimes people are so scared to say, I can never be a vegan. But what about just one day? Like, by the way, in America, 
the average person eats 280 pounds of meat a year. Just think about that. This is a number that is just insane. And so like, what about making that number, like let's cut that number in half. That would change the world. And so I think um, not be afraid of change. I encourage everyone. And do you think, what do you see as being the way to make veganism or moving in that direction like more accessible to people? There's such a push, you know, with all of the alternative meats. And I mean, there's a real range now, but I think some of that can be a turnoff just as much as it can be interesting to others. Like, yeah, how do you make veganism more accessible? No, I, th I think exactly like um, I do feel that if we can prove that this can be a luxury experience, then people are going to look at it in a whole different way. I, th I think we do have a unique platform because we do sell an experience, not so much food on a plate. I think the challenge comes for a small restaurant that has an a la carte menu that sells, you know, steak frites. And now what's the vegetable version of that that you can charge $45 for? I think that is the challenge and I think we have, you know, the perception in people has to change where they realize that growing the right carrot in the right farm in the right way has also its price. And so I think that's, that's sort of our role. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I do think coming back to the question of price point accessibility, you know, I mean, I think in both, both of your industries, you're, you're both kind of at the top of the game and also at the top towards the top of price ranges how do you think about making it so that you know sustainability isn't a luxury in and of itself um, for people who even even beyond just like kind of your middle class like you know at all levels how does that how do you change that um, for me is um, using the voice in a, in a good way in in a way that that, that that pushes for change. Um, at 11 Madison Park, uh, when I reopened the restaurant, the first thing I knew is that we will never stop um, cooking meals for people in need. And uh, when we reopened, we actually um, decided that we're gonna start this food truck and um, that we will be in Queensbridge, which is the largest housing project in America, it's 30 minutes from here, um, and that we will cook 500 meals a day uh, to give them uh, away uh, for free every day. So we're using our sort of system to, to, to do good in the world. Yeah, and I know that you've done some really interesting and creative partnerships as well along those yeah, it, um, first I want to say that in regards to food, uh, having his meals before and after he went plant-based, you realize that it's worth saving to go and experience that once because it's poetry and you're eating poetry of a creative and it's beautiful. And so that's something that's an experience and an experience it's quantified that that is the type of thing that never leaves you. And when it comes to, to what I do, I think it's two things. One is quality over quantity. Uh, first, when we just emerged, I always said I prefer someone buy one good sweater than 10 that lasts you for the, for the 
longest uh, of, and it's a hand-me-down. So the commitment goes to materials, not for only quality and the pleasure that it gives you to wear it, but also for the longevity. If you don't create something with a good material, it's not going to last. Yeah. And so the longevity of, of that. And my mother, which was a, it's alive and a gaucho, had a small wardrobe. When she was, didn't have her gaucho clothes, she had like the, like the things made by the seamstress, and it was this big. But she looked so beautiful, even if she repeated the outfit, it was made to her measure. And so it's about really understanding it's not about quantity and it's about quality. And that just bring it down yeah. to, to what you really need. And when you really think about it, it's not that much. And, and then I think that the other part is like, if you have a platform like Daniel has, or how we have the obligation and the duty to do good for others, right? We do different things with Save the Children. I hate Christmas wish list. You know when they send you the like each everybody sends you on, on the holiday season the the products to buy. I find it that it's the it's the it's the month of reflection, no matter what religion you are, to give to others. So we donate always all our profits for that month to to a charity that we'll focus on with Save the Children, or if it's Yemen, or if it's Afghanistan, or 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 the food crisis that we're actually facing right now. So I think it's like you have a duty. To, to give and serve the more you have. Yeah. And you've done, is it Shelter Stock? Does that, did you, you did Shelter a neat Shoot program. It was our yeah. first show at Chloe. Um, I find it, you know, everybody puts so much focus on like, there's a new creative director. And in my opinion, it's not like new news that there's a new creative director because there's new creative directors in different houses. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to share that focus with someone that was doing something that I admire so much, which is Shelter Suit, was creating these incredible jackets and sleeping bags for the homeless made out of all that stock uh, product. And they were beautifully designed. So here you have the most altruistic version of what I do. So I wanted to share the, that focus and that runway with someone that was doing something else. Yeah, that's great. Very cool. Um, and thinking about innovation in the restaurant industry more broadly, like you're using incredible materials and working with the food, but there's also been so much, you know, uh, conversation in recent years just about the culture of restaurants, which feels like another place that's really like ripe for innovation. How do you think about, you know, that? It's a kind of innovation at a, from a different angle, but yeah. I mean, look, to do what we do, you can only do if the team is extremely motivated. So I think in a way, in, I know that the restaurant has this sort of stigma, and of course there's the Gordon Ramsay's of the world, um, but my experience is, is, is actually quite different. Um, of course there's high standards, um, but it's a, it's a true st team sport that everyone has to be highly motivated. You could never achieve uh, what we do, unless everyone is, you know, like it, it, it used to be like there was like the motivation by fear, um, but you know, that only worked as long as the chef was really looking over you. And when he was walking away, you were like, fuck that guy, I'm gonna like, you know, cut all the corners. <laughs> but um, that just is, is not that world anymore because it's also, you, you, you want every person in the team to feel real ownership of, of, of what we do because then there's real pride of what you do. I always talk about if we want to be the best restaurant in the world, I want someone 
as a guest who comes to the restaurant and in the first three minutes realize that they're in the best restaurant in the world before they have received service or food because they can feel the electric energy and the pride that everyone on the team is, is having. Yeah. Um, well, as we, as we wrap up, we'd love to just hear a little bit from each of you about, as you look to the future, let's say five to 10 years, where do you see each of your industries being? Do you think there will be more um, houses and restaurants that have kind of followed your lead? And, and if so, what does that mean for the work you do? Is that, do you welcome those competitors? Does it, you know, do you change how you approach it? For me, the answer is yes, because it's a matter of, of, of surviving and there's going to be that demand from the consumer. What did you do? We, we're going to experience more and more climate uh, disasters and you're going to be examined as a brand, as a company, and there's no way out of it. So I, and I welcome people being 10 million better times better of what anything I do because I'm not doing it to please myself, but to really make sure that we're moving forward for our children. Yeah. Yeah, for me, you know, when you look in the history of any movement in, in art in particular, is that um, there is real evolution when there are many creatives uh, thinking along the same lines and you can sort of you know, be inspired or borrowing things from others and push it further where there is this really creative um, exchange. And um, I, I'm, and, and it is happen, it's, it's happening even across industries. Um, but the more the better, the more creatives thinking about this, uh, the more uh, beautiful and delicious um, our, our future will be because I don't think I know for sure, maybe our generation is thinking about, oh, I even had to think about, how do I feel about the plant-based meats? And how do I feel about lab-grown this? My kids, they know that they will never want to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so not, you know? so not. So, so that can't be the future, mm -hmm. so we, we got to find other alternatives. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, well, any, any final thoughts that we, things you're excited about? Well, who knows, <laughs> what am I excited about? Fusion. <laughs> this could be, so the next, next hour. Next year, next, next, we'll come back next year for a panel on fusion um, with Gabriella Hurst. Um, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see what each of you keep also, doing. Also, just know Gabriella is really in between two shows. She just had a show in New York. Uh, she's leaving on a flight uh, tonight to Paris for her show there. And um, I talked her into being here. So I'm really <laughs> grateful that you changed yes. your class. Are, yes, we are all grateful. <laughs> For you, um, Well, thank you. Thank you both. Um, yes, excited to see what you keep doing. Thanks again.